Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Clean Techies, the podcast. This is season two, episode eight, or if you're counting from the beginning, episode 20. Please do subscribe to, to this podcast wherever you're listening or watching. If you're watching on YouTube, I, please tap the bell to be notified next time we release uh, an episode. And if you're watching on uh, or listening on Apple Apple Podcasts, please do review the show as it really does help us to, to continue to raise our distribution awareness. So uh, just also real quick reminder at the beginning here, uh, this this podcast is, is sponsored and made possible by Next Wave Partners. Uh, Next Wave Partners are experts in renewable energy, infrastructure, ESG, climate tech, and tech recruitment businesses serving global markets. And uh, if you're, so if you're looking you know, to grow your team or to take your career to the next level, please do reach out to Next Wave at info at next-wavepartners.com. Or you can go to the website and go under um, their, their team page and find the consultant that might be within your remit and within your region and reach out to them uh, there. Or uh, you can also reach out to them on LinkedIn directly. So uh, the website is next-wavepartners.com. So with that, let's get into the details of today's episode. Today, we I had the pleasure of speaking with Craig Lawrence, who's somebody I've, I've known for a little bit in this space, and he is the co-founder and a partner at Energy Transition Ventures, or ETV for short. Uh, the conversation was really focused, just generally speaking, on cli- climate tech investing and kind of his background uh, and how we ended up in the investing space coming from a technical background. I always find it very fascinating talking to people in this space because a lot of the founders or kind of big change makers who end up in commercial uh, leadership roles had a technical background at one point or came from a technical background. So it's very interesting episode. We had a lot of diff- different things we discussed. Uh, I will also apologize in advance. There was a few technical difficulties with some of the internet connection, but uh, other than that, it was very great, very good conversation. So with that, let's get right into the show. All right. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Craig. How's it going? It's going very well. Great to be here with you. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited to, to have you on the show. Obviously, we, we've talked in the past, but very excited to have you on and to talk about talk about what you guys are doing. So why don't you just give us a quick introduction on yourself, kind of your background, some of your achievements, and, and maybe a little bit of how you ended up here. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, so background, gosh. Uh, grew up in Miami, Florida. A lot of people think that's strange whenever I tell, tell them, but uh, I, I did that uh, and uh, was sort of a very technical engineering uh, focused person the entire sort of first half of my, my life and career. Um, studied mechanical engineering, uh, was very into things and um, you know, me- mechanisms and things that worked and the theory behind how they worked. And so studied engineering, uh, studied at the University of Texas, um, had a job in the oil and gas industry for a consulting firm doing sort of engineering consulting for large refineries and chemical plants and um, things like that. Decided real quickly, I didn't like that and moved out to California. Uh, I went to graduate school at Stanford continued to study mechanical engineering, product design, had had no interest in energy at that point, uh, kind of been turned off um, by my oil and gas experience uh, and was kind of focused on other areas and ended up going to work for a company called IDEO, which is a, uh, a global product design innovation consulting firm. At that time, it was very much an engineering firm. We were designing and building really, really cool products, medical devices, consumer electronics, furnitures, toys, um, you name it. Uh, IDEO was not an expert in any one particular industry, but just an expert in how to design really cool products. We did work for Apple, uh, Palm Pilot for those old enough to to remember those (laughs) type of products, Uh, lots of really cool things. Um, And I, uh, I just happened to be sitting at IDEO, it was probably around 2006 and, um, Someone came to the front desk. Uh, someone just sort of walked in the door and asked, said, hey, I'm, I have, I'm a CEO of a solar company. I'd like to talk to someone at IDEO. And uh, I just was on deck. I was just available. And so I met this CEO of the solar company, which turns out to be uh, First Solar, uh, which is you know, one of the largest and most successful solar companies in the world at the time. Uh, they were, they had just IPO'd and were kind of just on their way up. And, uh, and I ended up doing a project for First Solar. Uh, and just, you know, I've been an engineer my whole, my whole adult life, but was my first exposure to a solar panel. And I was like, 
okay, this sheet of glass converts sunlight to electricity. It was like magic. It was literally, for me, it was my light bulb moment. No, no pun intended. And um, ended up doing a really interesting project with for solar and just pretty much was the turning point for me and said, hey, I'm, I'm dedicating my life to this and sort of started an energy practice at IDEO. That led me uh, to my first sort of investing role, which was at Excel Partners, uh, very successful venture capital firm, early investor in Facebook and many, many, many other very successful tech ventures. Um, was, did clean tech with them back when clean tech kind of 1.0 investing was was hot and heavy and folks like Kosla and Kleiner and all the all these big Silicon Valley venture firms were dumping uh, millions and billions of dollars into clean tech and we at Excel um, kind of rode that wave and and we uh, we only did two investments in the two years I was there one was Sunrun uh, who's now the number one residential solar company in the US, probably the world, and, um, and then uh, Opower, which was a really, really cool software company that uh, IPO'd and then ended up getting bought and integrated into Oracle's utility software uh, offerings. So um, spent a number of years in solar at companies like Sun Edison, uh, at a company called SolarBridge, a startup, uh, that got bought by SunPower and uh, kind of ended up moving me back to Texas. And then uh, last year, myself and a partner, Neil Dykeman, kind of looked at the world and, and kind of looked at what was going on in, uh, in clean tech and in energy and said, hey, it might be a good time to start an early stage venture capital fund. So uh, we launched Energy Transition Ventures this year. We're early stage venture capital focused on what we used to call clean tech, uh, we're now calling energy transition or climate tech. Um, these are all sort of different world words for overlapping spheres of, of, of interest. Uh, and um, we're, we're off, off to the races. We, we launched the fund in Q1 this year and we've done a couple of investments and are, are out looking for more. Awesome, very cool. It's, I think this is very interesting to me that um, you have an engineering background and then have ended up in this investment space. I think maybe, could you talk about that a little bit? Because I think I'd be curious to learn if you have any context on the, the past and how traditionally um, kind of it works for finance people or investment firms in general versus what might be different with climate tech technologies and companies. Yeah, I think um, what 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 made Excel interested in me was my engineering background, right? So I was originally brought in really to be sort of the technical due diligence person at at that firm, and um, uh, you know, so so certainly having that engineering background helps a lot of the a lot of the things going on. And I and I do apologize if you hear that. No, no, no worries, no worries. A lot of the, a, a lot of the, you know, the stuff, particularly going on in clean tech 1.0 was, uh, was very technical in nature, right? People were doing fundamental material science R and D, whether it's, mm. you know, in film solar cells or new battery materials. And so, you know, the, the traditional tech investors um, were sort of, you know, reliant on other experts to help them evaluate that stuff, either from the semiconductor industry or, or whatever. So that was originally my, you know, sort of my mandate. Uh, and so I had no investing or finance knowledge, right? I didn't go to business school. I hadn't done investing, hadn't run a business. I, you know, so I, I kind of picked that up on the fly at Excel. Uh, it, I didn't really realize this at the time, but Excel is one of, the, you know, probably the best uh, one of the top best venture firms in the world. And so I was learning from some of the best at it mm -hmm. in the world. And so I, I feel very blessed and lucky to, to have had that experience and to be, you know, kind of watching how, how these folks operated. Um, and so uh, long, long rambling, you know, answer to your question is, I think it is still relevant today. Many of the um, energy and climate investments have a kind of fundamental core technology that's beyond you know software 
you know, that you're dealing with physics, you're, you know, you're, you are moving electrons around the real world. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I, I recognize your, you know, my limitations. I, I developed expertise. I did a PhD in, in, uh, in, a, in a very specific area and have a lot of strong expertise in that area, but that rarely comes to bear in the specific deals we're looking mm -hmm. at. Uh, I think having an understanding of, of, you know, what to look for and how to look at it uh, and, you know, continues to benefit me to this day. Um, but, uh, you know, I had to pick up a whole new set of skills, uh, and frankly, why I partnered up with my partner, Neil, who's spent much more time in finance and has really focused all of his career in finance has, has really been help, helpful for me, uh, and it's a compliment. Yeah. To me, that seems like it's a, a pretty interesting partnership because, um, fr from what I've gathered, again, I've, I've never spent any time in, in the finance space on, on that side of things, but seeing how people invest in tech companies where it's about the team over the technology because hey the tech the tech it's just code right they can recode it to, to make things different to make it fit the needs of the customer but with climate tech issues it has to be good technology right if the technology is bad or doesn't work then it's entirely a waste of investment you can always you know stack different people around the tech as long as the tech is good is that something that you'd say is consistent with what you've seen yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of great opportunities that really don't have a fundamental technology. I mean, I think about my my past investment, Sunrun. This is a financial innovation, right? Uh, and that was really important for solar. Uh, and you know, uh, and I spent time at Sun Edison, who's kind of considered the pioneers of those financial innovations. There, you know, there there really wasn't a technology there. Same with Opower. I mean, Opower built software. Uh, but you know, there, there, it wasn't, um, it wasn't rocket science. Uh, mm -hmm. It was more behavioral science really is where their innovation <clears throat> lies. And I think I tend to gravitate towards, uh, you know, these things that are sort of more business model innovations where you really are looking at the team, uh, the product, maybe not the technology uh, and the, um, and the market. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the opportunity lies. I think that's a, where a lot of our investment will will come in. Um, there still is technology innovation needed, and we you know we have an investment that's not not been announced yet, so unfortunately, but it's in the sort of power electronics space where you know there is it's a real fundamental new technology, and uh, we invested because the team was extremely strong technically. These are folks who had been in. Um, other power companies like uh, mm -hmm. Siemens and Tico Westinghouse and, you know, companies that have been with a long track records of being able to deliver, you know, power products uh, into the market. And, you know, you just, you don't, you don't necessarily trust something like that to someone fresh out of school. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that brings us, I guess, to the question of kind of, is there a specific remit that you, that you have at Energy Transition Ventures or, is there maybe a specific type of um, maybe it's methodology or things that you look for for maybe people who are interested in in seeing if they'd be a good fit for what you guys are looking at? Yeah, I think you know our our remit is simple. We're looking to back you know category defining companies that are either driving or benefiting from the the transition of our you know energy economy off of fossil fuels and onto more sustainable sources. So. Within that, within that remit, we are we, we are looking very broadly. Um, from a stage standpoint, we are you know kind of an early stage investor. So, you know, we're looking. Uh, we will do a person with an idea. Uh, we will invest at that early of a stage. Uh, you know, all the way through. You know, potentially a later stage venture round um, where. Uh, so, so I, I think um, that that kind of canvas it, it creates pretty open environment, and I am very much, uh, <clears throat> you know, I want my funnel of the opportunities we see to be as large as possible within that within that remit, because you know, frankly, you can have a thesis, you can have themes that you're focused on, but at the end of the day, you have to find compelling entrepreneurs who are building these companies and these businesses and these products. And that's really ultimately, you know, you're, you're looking for that person, that team 
that is, uh, that is, you know, sort of built to be successful, whether it's in technology or, or marketing or sales or, or uh, whatever element uh, of it is that's most needed. And uh, we're going to be opportunistic when those teams come around, we're going to want to back them. Um, so like I said, the, the, uh, the, the filter is very wide open. So I'd encourage any, anybody who kind of even comes close to that remit to, to reach out to us. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that um, that's an interesting perspective. I feel that a lot of the funds nowadays have specific themes. I'm not sure if there's maybe reasons behind that, but I think it's an interesting uh, way to look at it, especially given your team set up because you're able to really sort through those nicely. Um, I, would just, I would just add to that. I'm seeing that too. Uh, I'm seeing kind of specialty funds, like we're a hydrogen fund or we're a carbon capture fund. Uh, and from, from my perspective, um, I, I, I think that that was too narrow. We thought about that, um, uh, but you know, our, our feeling and just based on my experience sort of during the last wave of clean tech is, you know, there weren't a ton of very successful outcomes, right? And I, I'm not sure this time will be that different. I think there will be more. Um, but I think, uh, I think you got to have a wide enough net to catch all those successful companies. I, I think um, mm -hmm. we didn't want to go too narrow. I think energy is, is narrow enough for us. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that there's the, you obviously have to diversify what you're doing in order to continue being successful, right? Because this is something, maybe you could talk about this. I have, having been through maybe, you know, what, what we call clean tech 1.0, could you talk about the mentality that had kind of developed? Because I, my understanding is that it was kind of people were like, oh, we don't want to touch that anymore because a lot of people lost their investment. Is that the case? You know, did people come around to that? Or is it the case that a lot of these investments just didn't have time to mature? So I think the 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 failure of you know the failures of clean tech one and by the way I don't think that there's a lot of analysis you know sort of um, after the fact analysis looking back at the returns and 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 it's not as clear cut as you think to be like oh that was a failure I mean Tesla alone. Uh, you know, you know, so, uh, is, is such a hugely valuable company that it, it, it drives the, the overall returns for the whole sector. So, you know, if you were in a few of the good companies, you, you actually could have done that, you know, very well. Um, but uh, I, I think the, the mistake that was made, the mistakes that were made in Cleantech 1.0 are, are pretty simple to understand. And it was, you know, go, go back to 2000. I don't know, whenever you think this clean tech 1.0 started, 2005, 2007, 2008, I don't, it peaked somewhere uh, in that sort of 2005 to 2011, 12 timeframe um, in terms of dollars invested. And what was going on back then? Well, you know, solar was kind of new, wind was a little more mature, but still kind of new, batteries were kind of new. EVs were kind of new. And what did they all have in common? They were just very, very expensive, right? So solar, wind, batteries, EVs, just sort of the most expensive methods of producing electricity, right? Uh, or using electricity. And so, uh, but everyone saw promise and there were some subsidies that sort of helped some of these things get to market. And there were some, there were some mandates and feed-in tariffs. And that these markets were growing and they were clearly pointing to a very, very large opportunity. Uh, and so what did venture capital do? They said, well, this technology is expensive. We're venture capitalists. We're good. Let's invest in, in ways to make these technologies cheaper. So tremendous amount of money going into thin film solar, a tremendous amount of money going into new battery technologies or materials a tremendous amount of money going into biofuels. Um, and all, almost all of that was sort of based on uh, the current method of doing solar or batteries or whatever, too expensive to be viable. So we're gonna invest in something that has the promise to make it cheaper. Here's the problem was those technologies, a lot of them were at what I would consider to be a fundamental R&D stage. They were in the lab. 
right? So you have venture capitalist funding, fundamental R&D, which is just hard. It's just hard and it's expensive and it's unpredictable. And there's not much that the venture capitalists can do to accelerate that. Um, they can try to throw more money at it, but that doesn't necessarily accelerate it. So you're doing something very, very hard. Um, and in the meantime, the stuff that was so expensive, silicon solar cells, lithium ion batteries, wind turbines, they just kept getting cheaper and they kept getting cheaper faster than anyone predicted. And I, I can go pull up my decks from these thin film solar companies that they pitched me where they're predicting where their costs are going to be and where the industry costs are going to be when they get to market. And they were just wrong. Their costs were higher. They got, they took longer to get to market because it's fundamental R and D and the, the market just passed them by. Right. So um, th those, most of those investments failed um, because they mispriced the risks, the market risks, the technology risks. Today, we're at a fundamentally different spot, which is those core technologies are now the cheapest way of producing electricity. So solar, wind, and, and, and soon, if not now, batteries as storage for solar and wind or other forms of electricity are now just really fundamentally cheap. Uh, they're fundamentally better products uh, for a whole host of reasons and uh, than, than the alternatives. And so we're in a different world. So now I look at, I look at it and why we started this fund, which is uh, now we can, you know, now we know these markets are going to be huge because they're economically driven, not subsidy driven, or just, you know, we'd like to be clean driven. They're just cheaper. So now let, there's going to be whole sets of industries and businesses built on top of these very, very inexpensive clean electrons. So that was the problem of Cleantech 1.0. I see it being repeated, unfortunately, in Cleantech, whatever you call it, 2.0 or climate tech, which is people are looking at things like hydrogen and carbon capture, which are very expensive today, and saying, well, let's go invest our venture dollars in R&D in fundamental new science and technology to make them cheaper. Look, I want to see investment in that fundamental R&D and science. Like, I think it's absolutely vital as it was during solar. Um, but I, I just don't know it's an, if it's an appropriate use of venture capital dollars. Um, the other thing that's changed from then to now is back then it was only venture. Like that was it, like you had venture capital and there was no one to hand off those things to, right? Like there was no growth capital, there was no private equity, there was no uh, infrastructure capital, there was no corporate capital, there was the public markets really weren't that interested in these things. So there was just no follow-on capital. So you had venture capitals, venture capitalists funding the building of factories, right? For you know solar. Now it's very very different. You can't open. You know, you can't open your browser if you follow the kind of accounts and news that I follow and not see the, the announcement of another like multi-billion dollar fund, whether it's an infrastructure fund or a growth fund or a private equity fund or SPAC. Um, you know, you, you just, there's now lots of capital up and down the stack to support these businesses. And that's why we jumped into early stage capital. We've said, hey, look, there's, we, Renewable energy is cheaper than fossil fuels. Um, there's capital to support these young businesses as they grow. So let's, uh, but there's not a lot of early stage venture still. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's more, there's, there's less than there was, I suspect, in clean tech 1.0 right now. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me because I was, I was actually curious about that, that given maybe people have a little bit of cold feet per se, because it was all of the early stage funds that kind of really took it, took it badly in the, in the first, um, first round. So it's interesting that you guys are doing that, but it's interesting that, to hear your perspective too, that there is, there is the infrastructure beyond the seed stage to, to help you know, take things to the next levels. And obviously, I think public opinion of these things has gone up a lot. Um, I'm curious, you know, are there specific examples aside from, you know, power generation, are there specific examples of other technologies that you've seen or invested in that just make more sense economically um, for, for the clients that they're serving, whether those, you know, whether it's a, a building tech, technology 
or something like that. Are there any examples? Because I'm always curious to share to share these examples with people so they can see the reason why this is why this is so important for us to move in this direction. Yeah, I'll give you an example. And unfortunately, I, I, the 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 investment hasn't been announced, so I'm going to be a little more vague than I would normally like to. Happy to come back on and give you give you more. But we um, we invested in a um, a power electronics company. So so the these folks are are solving uh, a problem for first application they're focused on is is EV charging. So uh, DC fast charging, and you'll hear. You'll hear a lot when people talk about charging infrastructure, which is, oh, it's expensive because you have to do grid upgrades, right? The grid's sort of not built to deliver the kind of power to a site to charge a bunch of EVs simultaneously with, you know, uh, 250 kilowatts of power each. So you need to do grid upgrades, which by that they mean typically you're installing transformers, switchgear, inverters, safety protection. And this stuff is very expensive, right? You need to get permits, you need to lay a concrete pad, you're trenching, you're running conduit. And this ends up becoming kind of like in solar, they talk about soft costs, which is sort of everything other than the panel. You start, it's to add add up and become a substantial barrier to, um, to e-charging. So we invested a company that's still a really interesting technology, uh, leveraging sort of solid state transformer technology to significantly lower the size, cost, increase the efficiency of the grid infrastructure needed to deliver uh, EV fast charging. So, you know, the obvious customers for this are fleets that are electrifying where, you know, you're, you've got a bunch of delivery trucks or a, a bunch of vehicles where, you know, charging fast is important because it directly hits your bottom line. Um, you, you're going to want, you're going to be building a lot of charging. We are going to be building a lot of charging infrastructure over the next decade. Amazon, UPS, you know, post office, um, you know, everybody who's, who's looking to electrify their vehicles would need a, uh, a product like this. So we invested in an early stage technology company that's doing some smart stuff around power electronics. It's not fundamental R&D, it's engineering, right? It's engineering, it's better engineering, better design of, of um, you know, of, of this type of solution. And uh, that's an area we got excited about and we made a, we made a very er, you know, early bet at the seed stage in a, in a, in a good company doing this. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's just so many examples I think of people I've had on here where it's, it's kind of a no brainer for companies to implement the technology because it saves them money or maybe even adds some revenue streams. To me, you, you mentioned this earlier, the, the new business models. To me, that's very interesting. There's so many, I feel it's just not something a lot of people, well, some people of course, but not a lot of people like think about, oh, how can I innovate the way this is done? And oftentimes that can be just a huge, huge innovation itself and can just open up the market because it reduces the barriers. So that's interesting to hear. Um, what are, in your opinion, some of the areas that you see the most growth happening within this climate tech space over the next, let's say five to 10 years? Yeah, so where, where, where we're seeing, where I'm seeing growth, uh, I think energy storage is, is, uh, an underreported like tsunami coming, and uh, it's not without risk. I mean, we just um, you know we just saw Chevy announce a full recall of the Chevy Bolt, right? Because of a battery defect issue, um, we saw a, um, a kind of a thermal event, which is the the battery way of saying you know a, a fire um, at a at a stationary storage. Uh, uh, installation in California recently. So, you know, there, these things are not easy to do, but there's, um, 30 gigawatts of battery storage in the queue in ERCOT in Texas. Uh, these are projects that are in various stage of development or installation or connection to the grid. 30 gigawatts is a lot of power. Uh, you know, most of this is sort of four hour lithium ion, type battery storage. Um, there's a, 
equal, uh, I, I don't know the number offhand, but I think a greater amount in California that's sort of in development. And I mean, I, you know, there is no better power device on the grid than a, than a battery. It is just super flexible, highly controllable, fast, dynamic, you know, multi-use, um, really, really powerful thing to have on the grid. And the, the cool thing about it is it's, it's scalable, right? You can have an individual small battery system in a home to a, you know, large utility scale, multi-gigawatt, multi-megawatt, you know, tens of megawatts installation. You can place it because it's um, not, you know, polluting and doesn't need fuel and isn't burning fuel and creating exhaust. You can place it, you know, in all kinds of interesting spaces where it's needed on a grid. So, that's a huge area. I'm super excited about that and what that means for, um, you know, our ability to deploy more, more, um, more renewables on the grid, and then uh, and then electric electric vehicles. I mean, uh, again, I think that's a tsunami coming. I think it's fits and starts. Um, uh, you know, the the um, this the change in tone I've heard from the auto manufacturers from a decade ago, when I talked to a Volkswagen executive who said, you know, why would we do electric vehicles when we have diesel? Like diesel is so much more efficient, right? Or why would we do hybrids when we have diesel? Diesel is so much more efficient. So, it, you know, and now it's like they're basically saying they're, you know, they're going to phase out fossil fuel engines and, at some point and be all electric. So, so that's super exciting. And then you know, th this is where it all intersects, which is, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the waiting list for electric Ford F-150, right? And the reason I am is not because I want a truck. I've never had a truck in my life, but because they're the first company that's really promoted the vehicle to grid concept. And, you know, I live in, in Austin. I was out of power for a week earlier this year when we had the massive, you know, snowpocalypse here and froze out our grid. And uh, I had no backup, right? Here I am, and I've been in this industry for 15 years. I got solar on my roof, but it's grid-tied solar. I had no backup. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting that F-150. Uh, it's got a 100-watt-hour battery. That can back my house up for a week. That literally can back my house up for a week. Uh, and um, I think that that's just a game-changer. That's just an absolute game-changer. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one, especially because, I mean, from where I'm, I'm from a rural area in Wisconsin, and um, typically you, <laughs> maybe the, the lo lower on the progressive end of things for, for new technologies per se, and, you know, having conversations with my, with my dad about, hey, you know, if you get a truck, like, here's the benefits of what you could get in an electric truck, right, um, for example. So that's interesting to see. Um, I'm curious, do you know of, of maybe kind of things or predictions you have Given the increase in battery storage usage and how we're going to be able to track all this data a lot better, um, do you see any kind of big movements or things that you're excited for where data is going to be able to intersect with all of these things that we're doing within the, the energy side of things? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think uh, there's so many cool, innovative companies who are sort of launching around. This is what I, what I get excited about. I think, you know, I think whether it's the tech world or the energy world, I'm looking for sort of ecosystems forming, right? And in solar and in silicon solar, you know, that there's 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 these huge ecosystems from supply on the supply chain downstream to developers and installers, and then technology companies that are trying to make these things work better, addressing soft costs. And I'm seeing the same thing in the battery world, right? Everything from really cool companies that are working on, you know, sort of Bat testing and battery health and diagnostics, right? So that you can you can track battery performance either you know from the factory through to the, into the car or into the into the stationary storage system, and you know so much data being collected on these things to help you know feedback and improve the the product and the manufacturing uh, to. Um, you know, people focused on like second life use for batteries, right? So people figuring out how to take these batteries, you know, for a car, when a, when a battery's at 
capacity, you might not, you know, might be kind of done for the car, right? Your range is diminished, your performance might be diminished, but it's been paid for and amortized and depreciated, and, you know, and so to go stick that into a stationary uh, storage system where maybe, you know, size isn't that important. Um, and, you know, the fact that it's 70, 80, 60% uh, capacity, you know, still perfectly usable. Uh, and so I, I see so many different pieces and then even everything, like there's a, um, there's companies that are like, you know, uh, developing, you know, software and APIs to, to monitor and control EVs uh, to, to, to basically, you know, assess, assess the value of the car and, 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 you know, again, and you tie it back to the vehicle, the grid where the car becomes a resource for the grid. Right. And then there's how you're going to orchestrate and control all that. And people have been talking about this for, for decades and it's like just starting to happen. Right. Um, the, the, the place, there were a lot of companies trying to do this back when I was at Excel you know, there was a company doing vehicle to grid. There were no electric cars, hardly, right? There was no Tesla and, and hardly any cars that could do that. They were just, they were just too early with that idea, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I, it's still maybe a little too early, right? Still, you know, for, for Ford and Nissan, I think are the only companies that have even, um, you know, made sort of that capability available. And uh, Tesla hasn't yet even, right? And they've got the most EVs on the road. You can't, you can't back up your home with a Tesla. You, there are a lot of people who have a Tesla sitting in their garage with a 100 kilowatt hour battery, 90 kilowatt hour battery, but they like, you know, 13, 14 kilowatt hours to back up their house with that, with that fully charged EVs in there, um, you know, in the garage unused. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if it, once this is implemented, I, I never, I never actually thought about that concept. But if once it's implemented, the power outages that you guys experienced in in Texas, for example, if enough people kind of had this this ability to just plug into their truck, for example, um, it would have probably saved a lot of uh, you know headache for a lot of people and a lot of pain and suffering. Um, this interesting concept. That's that's a new one for me. Um, what about your journey whether it's you know your entire career or maybe specifically so far with with etv what have been kind of the biggest surprises to you the things that you just did not expect um it's a really good question uh i feel like i've had i've had a lot of surprises right like i mean the the the, the falling into venture it, during cleantech 1.0 um, just w was never a, was never um, was never on my roadmap at all of things to do and I remember uh, I had the job offer from Excel uh, it was a short-term offer um, I was had it this job at IDEO, which, you know, uh, you know, probably not well known in Wisconsin, but, uh, you know, if, if IDEO was one of those places, one of the most desirable places to work. Um, uh, and, uh, and I'm like, God, am I going to really lead this, this job? And I, and I just sort of, I just took a leap of faith and, and jumped in and, uh, the whole thing was shocking. I mean, still to this day, I'm kind of amazed is how venture capital works and just the movement of money from LPs to GPs to startups. Um, it feels kind of inefficient all the time. I think about it and, um, and, uh, and I'm, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be doing what I'm doing uh, and, and kind of thankful every day I get to do it. But, but on the other hand, it's, it just seems odd of, of, of how this money gets to the startups um, through such a, such a torturous path, right? Like, uh, and, and uh, to be kind of a gatekeeper in that path uh, is, is, a, is, is, a, is a daunting, is a daunting uh, position. Um, I, I will say I'm, um, I would have, I'm shocked at how practical I've become. I kind of viewed myself in my engineering phase of my career as a, as a dreamer, right? And so every time I see a funding announcement from someone's invested 
to $100 million in nuclear fusion or some crazy new storage technology or whatever. I'm like, I would have thought that would have been me uh, early in my career. But the, the reality is I get much more excited about opportunities that have, can have immediate impact, right? And so, you know, um, companies like Sunrun and O-Power, when we did it, the companies were invested in today. I mean, they are, they are either already out in the market making an impact or they're really, really close. Uh, and so I find that I, that immediate satisfaction of being able to see what I'm working on and what I'm involved in having impact right away versus kind of grinding it out in the lab uh, for many years is, is I'm surprised because I did a PhD and I spent four years in the lab working on one thing, right, to see it kind of finally sort of come to fruition at the end of that time. And I, so I thought that was kind of who I was. But I think I need a lot more instant gratification. That's interesting. That's, um, yeah, I can never, I can never, I, I don't think I could be the person who sits on one thing for a long time, but that's interesting to hear your perspective of how it's changed. I think it's interesting also that we obviously need both, right? We need a little bit of both because if there's nobody dreaming up the next things, we're never going to have the next thing. So that's interesting. Um, maybe just a couple, a couple more things here. What have you seen in terms of with the portfolio companies you're working with, or just maybe companies you've seen in general, um, how have you seen them having to find talent? Because I've talked to a lot of people have issues with there's no education per se that's helping get people into these paths, these career paths that are really meant for these new technologies because it's just unknown to the universities. And obviously universities are typically a couple of years behind the trend. So I'm just curious, what have you seen there? What have been the challenges and maybe what's being done to, to change that in the future? There's a few, the talent is definitely an issue. Uh, there's the issue with like, you know, young talent, people coming out of school or, you know, people, people coming into this industry. I think there's a, um, I think there's some gaps and holes there, but before I, before I talk about that, the, the talent area that's sort of hitting me directly, um, cause I am seeing a lot of smart people from other industries kind of want with the desire to get into this industry. I think it's great. And I think there's a lot of people moving into it. One of the thing, the thing that I uh, see lacking right now is kind of senior experienced, you know, sort of executive talent available for these startups. Um, some of the best executives that I met along the way, you know, sort of during the 15 years, um, I've approached a number of them to sort of join some of these startups we're funding saying, hey, look, got a really cool technical team, whatever, but they, you know, they could really benefit from someone who's done it before, who's taken a company from A to B and had an exit and whatever. And many of them are like, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of done, I'm past that, right? I've kind of aged out of the startup, um, the startup world. So uh, I think that's kind of a shame. I'd actually like to see uh, senior folks who have, who have done it before, maybe they're even financially set, right? Maybe they don't need the money or the big exit, uh, but to go back and to, and, to, um, and to sort of work in these sort of more entrepreneurial startup companies. So that's where I'm seeing a big gap. And then on the, on the sort of that are, that are trying to train people both in entrepreneurship and in climate. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty healthy, actually. I think that, that there's a lot of that going on. Universities are creating climate programs, degrees, entrepreneurship. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on all that stuff uh, that's, that's happening there. Yeah, that's interesting to hear because I've, I've heard different things depending on how crazy the technology is that it's just tough to find people because they've, you know, the engineers are looking for that have the correct motivations and everything. Maybe they, they, they were headed in a different path and they have to be convinced to change that path because it's just new technology. So that's, that's interesting to hear. Maybe one other thing kind of along this line is as a lot of these technologies transition, we're obviously going to be replacing some of our existing infrastructure or just the way we do things. What do you see as happening to the current workforce? And are there any things that you're seeing that's being done to help kind of get that workforce up to, to run into the new into this new technology? So that way there's not really so much of a, a gap because this is a big 
concern from a lot of rural areas like people have kind of you know typical um, blue collar jobs and they're like hey how can we how are we going to be involved in this transition we don't want to be out of work yeah it's it's sort of this it's been an ongoing topic i mean going going back right it's like hey when you know we started to it was very clear that the country had sort of turned against coal you know i mean going back more than more than 10 10 plus years and um and that there was going to be an issue with people in the coal industry in those states um that uh and and i don't think we did a good job of sort of creating opportunities um because frankly those states aren't where the opportunities were in renewables really right like uh, you know uh, west virginia and and some of those places in pennsylvania really weren't big renewables states right that was going on in california and massachusetts and so you know are you really going to up and a lot of this stuff is you got to be there right this isn't remote work kind of work it's like I, i'm turning a wrench or i'm mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm digging a i'm digging a trench right like so uh so i think uh it's interesting now that places like texas have become a renewable development stronghold i mean solar wind and storage texas is one of the biggest states texas is also one of the biggest oil and gas states right so i think that opportunity to transfer talent uh at the engineering the construction level um uh the operations and maintenance level i i think it's i think it's big i think there's a bit of a stigma um we're a little bit the sort of new energy people are a little bit dismissive of the old energy people. I think that's horrible. Uh, I think that the 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 you know the energy industry, the 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 oil and gas industry, the, those those folks are the original risk takers, the original entrepreneurs in this country. Really, I mean, like they you know the, these are people taking risks on business technology development, um, and they're also uh, smart. Right from everywhere from the technical and the blue collar all the way up to the finance people and uh, private equity people. I mean, these these folks are smart. They're sophisticated. Um, would love to have their energy turned towards this renewable build out that we're that we're in, encouraging here. And I I don't I don't have the answer. I don't know I don't know how much of it's happening. I just do know that. Um, that there's been some dismissiveness that I, I think is a shame. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think uh, it was back in, I think it was back shortly after the ERCOT disaster that I stumbled into a clubhouse room and I just heard, I, I think it, I thought it was a renewable energy clubhouse room, but it turned out to be mostly oil and gas folks. And um, it was interesting to hear their perspective on how they felt like people on our side of things, if you want to say it, our side per se, were just really like, um, dismissive or just kind of like didn't care like didn't care to bring them in because i think that's a good point you mentioned that they were the first innovators so i think that maybe people listening if maybe check check your linkedin comments uh, how, how, are you, how are you sharing this because this is obviously they do have talent we need to be aware of bringing those people in and and maybe for hiring managers I've, I've seen this as a recruiter too that hiring managers tend to be like hey i only want people who already have the experience whereas who knows maybe sometimes it's it's going to be better off to have somebody who has the context from the other types of roles um but awesome this, this has been great i think we're, we're out of time now um just curious if you have any final thoughts to, that you want to wrap up with um yeah I, I i would say this i'm i mean i'm as optimistic as I've, I've ever been like i said i got excited back when all this stuff was a pipe dream really i mean it was a heavily subsidized, expensive experiment, uh, putting solar on people's roofs or on buildings or in solar farms and building wind turbines. And I, I just, you know, it, it to, I don't know how it seems to the rest of the world because I can only, you know, know my perspective, but it has come so far so fast. And I just, I think it's, I think it's underreported, right? Like I think a lot of the conventional wisdom is still what is, talked about right and and we talked about the sort of you know potential animosity between the traditional energy oil and gas world and the new energy world i live it i'm i'm on you know i'm on i'm very active on twitter um at c lawrence if anyone wants to find me and i'm in these communities uh, there's these very strong communities of oil and gas folks that i've stumbled into 
Um, and I find myself in, you know, anything from polite discussions to Twitter wars over, you know, over rene renewables. And, but like that, those people, and I think they are reflective of the broader population, have some um, notions about renewable energy, wind, solar, batteries. That is 10 years plus out of date. Um, and 10 years ago, it was true. And it's not today. Uh, and, and I think there's, a, there's an education process uh, the media, we are all responsible for, for helping people understand that it's not, it's not your 2010 solar and wind industry. It's, it's a whole different ballgame now. And so I'm super excited about where we are. I, I, in my mind, it's very clear. It's, it's all going to change. We are going to transition off fossil fuels. I, I know it's going to be faster than people are projecting. I don't know how fast. I think a lot depends on what we all do, right? The, the investments we all make in people, in technology, in products, in um, policy um, that that are that are going to make the difference. So I will wake up every day, kind of excited, and just you know try to do my my part. Awesome, very good. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear the excitement from somebody who who kind of is holding the purse strings and can see it from that level. So. Very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Craig. Um, we'll definitely, we'll have to have you on in the future, especially as you announce more, more investments and as we see this energy transition um, take place. Yeah, we'd love to be back on. You should definitely grab, grab my partner, Neil, too. He's, he's a, fun, a fun character to have on these things. So, Awesome. Thank, thanks so much, Craig. Cheers. All right. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Craig. I really enjoy speaking with him every time I do get to the chance to connect with him. So again, hope you found a lot of value. Please do share your thoughts on what you thought of the podcast. Any questions you'd like asked uh, in further episodes, I will have a, num a number of other financial professionals in the space in the near future. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Silas Maynard or join the Slack channel, which the link is in the description. And you can Slack me. I'm, I'm pretty good about um, you know getting back to people there as well. Um, you can also connect to me on LinkedIn. So many ways to reach me. I'm always glad to take your convert take your questions questions and, and try to add them into the conversation next time. Uh, as always, we do ask you that, that you share this with a friend of yours. So if there's anybody who, who might find this topic interesting, please share with them as we need to spread the word about what's happening. And um, please also consider subscribing to the newsletter, which it comes out the 27th of every month. And um, yeah, as I mentioned before, do join the Slack channel if you're interested in kind of participating in the space a little bit more, meeting other professionals, or just learning in general. And then finally, you can support the show by going to buy me a coffee link in the description. It's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Silas Maynard. And with that, we will see you next time on the podcast.